Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 10, Episode 5, Avenging Nobunaga. Akechi Mitsuhide's betrayal of Oda Nobunaga was one of the most surprising and dramatic events of the Azuchimomoyama period, and it has been immortalized in film, television, plays, and nearly every other creative form of expression in Japan. Over the years, his depiction has varied from mustache-twisting villain to misunderstood hero. In 2020, the Japanese state-sponsored television network NHK chose Mitsuhide as the subject of their annual historical drama. We will further discuss his depiction in popular media at the end of this episode. On June 21, 1582, Akechi Mitsuhide killed Oda Nobunaga and his son Nobutada. The actual reason for this betrayal is still the subject of rigorous debate, and the passage of time has allowed for all manner of strange and unlikely theories to gain more attention than they deserve. The more outlandish theories are usually held together by conveniently successful conspiracies of the imperial court, the ousted shogun Ashikaga Yoshiaki, or, my personal favorite, an elaborate plan set in motion by the Jesuits. Suffice to say, such unlikely scenarios should be given exactly as much attention as the material evidence that supports them, which is none. There is an apocryphal tale wherein Mitsuhide brokered a delicate peace with the daimyo of the Hatano clan by offering his own mother as a hostage to ensure they could surrender to Nobunaga without losing face. Nobunaga later had the daimyo executed while he was visiting Azuchi, and in retaliation the Hatano clan killed Mitsuhide's mother. This would indeed be a clear, compelling reason for Mitsuhide's betrayal, if it were true. However, it is strongly doubted by modern historians as a just-so story that all too conveniently makes a complicated matter very simple. By examining some of the basic facts of Mitsuhide's relationship with Nobunaga, I think a convincing enough picture emerges to support the idea that the betrayal at Honnoji was a crime of opportunity by a man who was convinced that everyone else was just as discontented under Nobunaga as he had become. It bears remembering that Nobunaga is not the first master whom Mitsuhide betrayed. Exiled shogun Ashikaga Yoshiaki enjoyed the loyalty, protection, and friendship of Mitsuhide until push came to shove between the shogun and Nobunaga. However, to place the full weight of the event on a supposed disloyal disposition possessed by Mitsuhide is to ignore the role that Nobunaga played in setting his own death in motion. Nobunaga frequently heaped abuse, both verbal and physical, on subordinates who failed him, and this seems to have grown worse as his power continued to grow. Mitsuhide had found himself on the receiving end of that abuse on several occasions, and had once suffered the indignity of having one of his fiefs seized by Nobunaga. The great lord of Kansai had also developed the unsavory habit of sending his most loyal and historically talented generals into exile when they suffered even minor setbacks on the battlefield, and a canny retainer like Akechi Mitsuhide probably wondered when it might be his turn to be sent off to a distant corner of the Oda domain to live in obscurity. Given the fact that he was 54 years old, 
it probably crossed his mind that he would be unlikely to ever return from such a fate before death claimed him. None of these factors are particularly sexy or intriguing, but I think they are far more likely than their more exciting but completely unsupported counterparts. I believe the weight of these circumstances is what led Akechi Mitsuhide to believe that his action in killing Nobunaga and his eldest son would be hailed as the heroic act of a man who'd saved his nation from petty tyranny. Certainly his actions following the Honnoji incident seem like those of a person who believed that his radical actions would galvanize those who disliked Nobunaga, both publicly and privately, into accepting him as the new national leader. Immediately following the deaths of Nobunaga and Nobutada, he sent messengers to the imperial court assuring them that his actions were in their best interest. Yasuke, the black samurai in Nobunaga's service, had bravely defended the monastery, but was captured. Akechi Mitsuhide had him escorted to one of the Jesuit churches, either because he was a foreigner or because he considered him an animal, depending on the source. Unfortunately, we have no account of Yasuke's fate after being delivered to the European Christians whom he had arrived with. Mitsuhide's most immediate problem was that the majority of his troops did not know they had just killed Oda Nobunaga and his son. They were extremely upset about this, as they knew that they would be branded traitors and that now their fates were tied with Mitsuhide's. These 13,000 troops had followed Mitsuhide from his headquarters in Tamba province. The higher officer corps was informed of their lord's actions, but it was kept under strict secrecy from the rank and file. Mitsuhide had been placed in charge of holding horse parades in Kyoto, so they may have believed, as the residents of the capital likely did, that they were merely going to put themselves on display for the emperor. When they arrived, Mitsuhide supposedly shouted to them that the enemy was at Honnoji, followed by orders for them to attack and destroy. Although they must have been confused, they may have believed they were attacking someone on Nobunaga's orders, perhaps Tokugawa Ieyasu. As you'll recall from the previous episode, however, Tokugawa Ieyasu was vacationing in Sakai City, many miles from the capital at the time. It is common in many places throughout history for such rebellions to be kept secret until the troops have committed treason through their obedience to command. However, Mitsuhide's troops were furious that they had been deceived and doing nothing in response was not an option. Without some placating action, they would soon begin deserting, and some might even join with his enemies, who would not stay far away forever. He announced a reward. They would travel to Azuch Castle and ransack the building, taking Nobunaga's treasure as a down payment on future service. They entered Azuchi without any resistance and began looting the main keep and other buildings. The residents of Azuch, who numbered around 5,000, were extremely confused by the sequence of events, but as rumors spread through the city that Nobunaga had been killed, the civilian population erupted in a panic, and widespread looting and violence began. The various defensive structures and buildings of Azuchi were gradually burned down, an event that some claim was precipitated by Mitsuhide himself, but was more likely the result of the panic and riot of the residents. 
Immediately, Mitsuhide began appealing to his most likely supporters to send aid, especially additional troops, to reinforce his cause. If you think this sounds like the kind of thing he should have squared away before assassinating the most powerful daimyo in Japan, you are definitely not wrong. A successful coup requires coordination, usually between several powerful institutions who are expecting the power play before it happens. If Mitsuhide was hoping that the shock factor of his actions would galvanize into support, he was about to be extremely disappointed. He first turned to his longtime compatriot and in-law, Hosokawa Fujitaka, who joined the Oda clan around the same time as Mitsuhide himself. Fujitaka's son was married to Mitsuhide's daughter, so the question of support probably seemed like a sure thing. Unfortunately for Mitsuhide, Fujitaka refused to join. A rocky start, certainly, but Mitsuhide was determined to build a coalition capable of defending his position as the new top daimyo in the nation. He was certain that there would be plenty of time to put such a coalition in place and work through the more intricate negotiations necessary. Hashiba Hideyoshi, after all, was still bogged down in central Chugoku and might not be able to respond for months. At least that's what Akech Mitsuhide believed. His ad hoc approach to this coup is almost comedic in its catastrophic level of repeated miscalculations. As chaos began to erupt in the outlying provinces of Kansai in the wake of Nobunaga's sudden departure, it became abundantly clear that Mitsuhide did not have a plan. Author and historian George Sansom refers to this uncertainty as, quote, a dangerous condition for any enemy of Hideyoshi, end quote. Hoping to spur the Mori clan into joining his side, Akech Mitsuhide dispatched a messenger with a note relating the events at Honnoji and an appeal to join him in crushing Hashiba Hideyoshi. This messenger was intercepted by Hideyoshi's scouts, and this was how he learned that Nobunaga was dead and that Akech Mitsuhide was attempting to gain practical control over the massive Oda domain. Hideyoshi needed to tread carefully. He had already opened negotiations with the Mori clan for a peace treaty, but if he appeared too desperate to resolve the matter, they might perceive that something was up. While he probably intended to enforce more punitive and difficult conditions upon them, he instead accepted their offer of peace, but demanded that the commander of Takamatsu Castle, one Shimizu Muneharu, commit seppuku within full sight of both armies. The Mori agreed, and Muneharu was brought on a boat to the middle of Hideyoshi's man-made lake, and there he slit his belly and was beheaded as agreed. Hideyoshi hastily ratified the agreement before his enemies could learn about Nobunaga's untimely end. His army's flight back to Kansai is the stuff of legend. Time was of the essence, and the danger of a coalition forming around Akechi Mitsuhide increased by the day. Hideyoshi ordered his army to return to Kansai via a forced march, in which they were said to cover 40 kilometers, that's a little over 25 miles, every day. In four days, his army had traveled over 70 miles and was back in Kansai. He rendezvoused with Oda Nobutaka, the third son of Nobunaga, and his fellow retainer Niwa Nagahide and their respective armies. The total size of Hideyoshi's forces is believed to be between 20 and 35,000, which 
easily outnumbered his opponent's army, which was between 10 and 16,000. Although Akechi Mitsuhide had suffered some desertion in the wake of Nobunaga's assassination, he had managed to retain the support of some minor daimyo of Tamba province who remained loyal to him, including some members of the Saito clan whom he had relocated to Tamba. While his rebellion had not, thus far, worked in his favor to the degree he had hoped, a victory against the notoriously clever and talented Hashiba Hideyoshi would certainly improve his reputation and perhaps attract more daimyo to his banner. You may be wondering at this point what became of Tokugawa Ieyasu. The Honnoji incident brought a sudden end to his vacation, and when he received word of Nobunaga's death, he escaped from the area as soon as possible. His trusted retainer, Hattori Hanzo, guided Ieyasu and his moderate retinue safely through Iga province so that they could escape through Issei in the south, where Akechi Mitsuhide's reach did not yet extend. This was a hazardous journey through bandit-infested backcountry, and one of Ieyasu's companions died en route. Although he and his remaining bodyguards managed to return via boat to his provinces in southeastern Chubu, Hideyoshi's rapid return to Kansai ensured that Ieyasu would only get an opportunity to become Nobunaga's avenger if Hideyoshi lost the coming battle. Although he had wasted time hesitating during the aftermath of Nobunaga's death, Akech Mitsuhide formed a plan. Although he controlled two castles in Yamashiro province, trying to withstand a siege from Hideyoshi was almost certainly a losing strategy. His numerical disadvantage meant that he would need to find a place to fight where the terrain itself would confer a significant strategic advantage. He believed he found such a place in an area southwest of Kyoto called Yamazaki. The specific area he chose was a strip of land between a mountain and a river, which Mitsuhide believed he could use as a choke point and nullify his foe's superior numbers. While histories generally paint Mitsuhide's cause as lost and the coming battle unwinnable, I would contend that Hideyoshi's impending victory was not yet a foregone conclusion. Inferior numbers had triumphed over larger hosts multiple times throughout the Sengoku period, and Nobunaga's most famous early victory was against a force more than ten times the number of his own. The fact that Hideyoshi's forces formed up across from the Koizumi River may have reassured Mitsuhide that while victory may not be guaranteed, it was at least attainable. You may recall that Oda Nobunaga himself had suffered a defeat when his superior forces crossed a river to engage with their enemies when he faced off against Uesugi Kenshin some years before. However, Hideyoshi was doubtless thinking of all these things as well. To the rear of his army was a large mountain called Tennozan. It was heavily wooded, and thus the troops encamped or deployed upon it were well hidden from enemy eyes, and if the initial phases of the battle went against them, they could fall back and use it as easily defensible ground. Mitsuhide decided to take the initiative, and send a detachment of his own troops on the army's right wing across the river to confront Hideyoshi's host. It is easy to call this a mistake, but the division was under the command of one Matsuda Masachika, a retainer of Mitsuhide's who was very familiar with the local terrain. As they approached the woods at the foot of Mount Tennozan, however, 
they were greeted with several waves of arquebus fire, courtesy of Kuroda Kanbei. Masachika called for a charge, but after a brief clash, he was killed, and the remnant of his division fled back to safety across the river. Seeing the failure of his enemy emboldened Hideyosh, who ordered his own right wing to charge. They managed to cross the river, and as they began pressing against Mitsuhide's left wing, the left wing of Hideyoshi's forces charged forward as well, shattering what remained of Mitsuhide's right wing. Panic soon spread throughout Mitsuhide's army, and large-scale desertion began in earnest as men fled the battle as quickly as they could run. To their credit, most of Mitsuhide's retainers died at Yamazaki, some commanding hundreds of loyal samurai who died with them. Mitsuhide himself fled the battle shortly after it turned against him and attempted to go into hiding. According to one account, he was found two weeks later by a bandit gang who beheaded him. The more official accepted version is that he committed seppuku and his followers buried his head somewhere around Yamazaki so it would not become a trophy. Whatever the truth, the man was certainly dead. Thus ended the attempted coup of Akechi Mitsuhide, if one can call it that. Considering how slapdash and last-minute most of his political maneuvers were, in my mind it would have barely risen above a minor peasant revolt, except for the fact that he managed to do one thing right. Nobunaga was dead. His heir apparent, Nobutada, was also dead. Who would fill the empty sandals left by the great general, who was now master of nearly the whole of Kansai, Chubu, and Chugoku? That is a question we will answer in the following episode. For the remainder of this one, we'll discuss the enduring reputation of the Honnoji incident, as well as Akechi Mitsuhide himself. In the decades immediately following Nobunaga's death, Mitsuhide was regarded as a loathsome traitor who couldn't even manage a decent samurai's death on the battlefield. His name was spoken in the same invective with which my fellow Americans use for the name Benedict Arnold. However, with time and distance, Mitsuhide's historical legacy has shifted somewhat, especially as the dark reputation of Nobunaga has come more clearly into the light. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned the recent NHK historical drama Kirin Gakuru, in which Mitsuhide is the protagonist. The series emphasizes the chaos at the close of Sengoku Jidai and portrays Mitsuhide as a man who is generally trying to find the right master to serve, one who will reunify the nation. It ends with the Honnoji incident and portrays Nobunaga as a petty, vindictive tyrant who orders Mitsuhide to assassinate the exiled shogun Ashikaga Yoshiaki and indicates his intention to soon make war upon the Chosokabe clan of Shikoku, whom Mitsuhide is personally close to. Nobunaga is frequently abusive and capricious, and the show seems to posit the idea that if he had lived past the Honnoji incident, his rule would have grown even more destructive and eventually fallen apart. The theory that Mitsuhide may have been trying to protect the Choso Kabe clan actually does have some evidence. Letters were recently discovered documenting correspondence between Choso Kabe Motochika and Akechi Mitsuhide. Motochika wrote that he was willing to submit to Nobunaga, but was worried that if Nobunaga invaded Shikoku, that violence between them would become unavoidable. 
Nobunaga's third son, Nobutaka, was actually preparing to lead a Shikoku offensive, and given Nobunaga's past treatment of clans he considered enemies, Mitsuhide may have indeed had good reason to worry for his friend. Whether this concern would have led him to murder Nobunaga, however, is still a matter of debate. During the year I lived in Japan, the NHK historical drama was a show called Komyo Gatsuji, part of which featured the Honnoji incident and Nobunaga's relationship with Mitsuhide. In that series, Nobunaga frequently complained about the imperial court's interference and confided in Mitsuhide that he planned to eventually get rid of the imperial family and replace them with his own dynasty. In Yoshikawa Eiji's novel Taiko, he imagines Nobunaga as an abusive brute who gives Mitsuhide the cruel nickname Kumquat Head. In the recent and historically very terrible Netflix cartoon Yasuke, Mitsuhide is a conservative who is threatened by Nobunaga's innovations. In nearly every fictional depiction, he is given a clear motive which makes his betrayal of Nobunaga practically inevitable. If there's one thing that studying history has taught me, it's that humans are extremely complicated. Sometimes their motives are clear and easy for others to understand, and other times people do things out of motivations that are obscure, or even so deeply personal that outsiders will never really understand. Whatever Akechi Mitsuhide's actual reasons for betraying Oda Nobunaga were taken with him to the grave, leaving the rest of us to try and reverse-engineer a universal motive. I stand by my hypothesis that he moved against Nobunaga out of opportunity and a miscalculation fueled by his own discontent. If I'm presented with decent evidence otherwise, I will let you know. The Akechi clan was, of course, bigger than Mitsuhide, and it is worth following the fates of two in particular who managed to survive the incredibly dangerous time which their daimyo had brought upon them. These were his son-in-law Hosokawa Tadaoki and his daughter Akechi Tamako. Because the Hosokawa had refused to support Mitsuhide in his hour of need, they were largely spared the fates of those who helped him. Tadaoki took up service with Hashiba Hideyoshi and would serve many years as his loyal retainer. His wife Akech Tamako was in extreme danger because of her status as a traitor's daughter, and her husband Tadaoki, much to his credit in my mind, arranged for her to remain hidden in a small village called Midono. He refused to divorce her, and it was a full two years later that he brought her out under orders from Hideyoshi. She remained under a sort of house arrest, but her husband visited her often and told her about everything that transpired. During this time, she studied Latin and Portuguese and would later become a Christian, adopting the new name Hosokawa Gracia, by which she is remembered today. We will catch up with both Tadaoki and Gracia in a later episode. Next time, we will discuss the events that followed the Battle of Yamazaki and see whom among Nobunaga's sons and retainers would try to gain control of his domain and which one actually succeeded. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan. Thank <laughs> you.